Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's like, I want to join the Road Warriors, but I also want to play for Pantera. <laughs> hey, I'm ready. Yeah, right foot back. <laughs> Begins with a U. It ends with an A. Has a middle initial there. Monday Night Raw, number one. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. We are here via our Ica Pro-powered DeLorean, back in the heady days of the new generation era as we chronologically critique thank you osw review on the youtubes and the video the entire series of monday night raw from its very beginning to its very bitter end whenever that may be and who be we i be fake geordie radio presenter without portfolio former cultaholic heavyweight champion tom campbell from isolation station 24601 i'm here with the bear in the big blue bar cage the head pen of cultaholic 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 as it's now known it's one of the two you decide google both uh, he doesn't need a pencil. He gets it right every single gosh darn time. He is Justin Henry, and he comes to us from off of out of America. How you holding up there, Tommy? All good. Um, it's been a rough week for professional wrestling. That goes mm-hmm. without saying. Uh, we have talked about it at length at cultaholic.com and on the news programs on our YouTube channel as well. Um, we're not here to talk about that today. Uh, we're here to talk about Monday Night Raw in the 90s. Yeah, and what a Raw this was. This oh. was inadvertently a historic show. It certainly was. And do you know what? I've been... Although he has been uh, a, 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 somebody that we bounce between uh, a, a liability and a figure of fun uh, <laughs> b- behind the microphone, I, I'm genuinely, genuinely heartbroken that this is... I can't even bring myself to say it, Justin. You're going to have to say it. It is the final televised appearance in WWFE whatsoever for Macho Man Randy Savage. We're going to get to, at the end of this podcast, the immortal final words of Macho Man Randy Savage. The Hmm. final words that he says on WWF television. And wait till you hear him. Wait till you hear him. That's all I'm going to say. It's, it's such a monumental show that we had to have two people in on the song this week. Oh, what a song we've got. That's all I'll say for now. What a song we tr- we've got. We tried to put a little levity into this. Oh, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of levity. It's it's so level that uh, it's, <laughs> it'll, it'll bring you a religious... It'll be bo- it's borderline religious. That's how level it is. Let, uh, so we're going to crack on very shortly with this week's episode of Monday Night Raw. If this is the first time that you've listened, hello. We have been watching every episode of Raw from the very beginning in 1993. Aren't we lucky? 
and we are coming to the end of our second year of monday night raw and we are watching every single episode week by week so this is the halloween episode when and where are we this week justin henry well as you mentioned it is halloween day 1994 this was taped two weeks earlier in burlington vermont next week we'll start a whole new taping which up until that monday they're assuming savage is going to be a part of when vince finds out that that's not going to be the case but for now savage is here he, he he's doing in-show commentary uh, i assume the night of but by the end of the weekend he will no longer be a wwf employee randy savage is leaving the wwf and uh this is this is a big deal because this is something that randy savage probably never wanted to do but kind of felt like his his hand was forced uh, just to give you the 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 skinny on it at the end of october i.e today randy savage's wwf contract expired and it wasn't renewed and there was there's forever been discussion on randy savage well while he was there randy savage was keen to come back as a wrestler and there's a few occasions on commentary where he made it clear that that was what he wanted to do. But Vince McMahon believed that Randy Savage was somebody that couldn't offer anything in ring anymore, that he was over the hill, that he was part of the old generation of wrestling. And this is a statement mm -hmm. that is utterly, utterly daft because you look at wrestlers like Bob Backlund and Nikolai Volkov, who are currently active week by week, and mm -hmm. they aren't leveled as too long in the tooth or too old to wrestle yet randy savage who every single time and this isn't an exaggeration or hyperbole in any way shape or form you watch every episode and you agree every single time randy savage stands up from that commentary table the crowd come to life i mean savage is a certified superstar he's he's proven it for the years before this and at this point he's probably still the biggest name in the company with all due respect to Bret Hart and The Undertaker and whoever else is at the top of the shows at this point, Randy Savage, the Macho Man is a household name. And it's it's possible that – like the only rationale I can come up with for Vince is that he thought maybe because he was too famous and too associated with that previous generation that people would see him as being you know a bit of an anachronism if he, if he were wrestling. If commenting is one thing. But that's where Vince was whew, woefully off the mark. Very much so. And he doesn't see it, the, the benefit in having someone like that who can help get over these younger stars and do it in the ring rather than outside of the ring. And in fact, stories came out later on that Savage had actually pitched a long storyline for him and Shawn Michaels in which he would put Michaels over in the end in order to build him up as like, you know, like a, a torch passing match. And Vince turned him down. You can see why it got to the got to where it got to, where there was no contract re-signing and Randy Savage would leave the WWF. So tonight, as, as Justin has already so eloquently put, this is the final time that we will ever see Randy Savage on WWF or WWE programming. Of course, we lost Randy Savage uh, some time ago now, so it was this was this was definitely the final time he appeared with the company. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big loss as well. Yeah, especially after losing Hogan earlier in the year officially to WCW. I mean, I mean he hadn't been there since 93, but talking about when Bischoff signed him. 
it's you would think that you know how weird it would have been to have Hogan and Savage like head to head on two different programs as like as like top guys. I think it'd been like, amazing. Not... It would have been amazing. But it's I mean Hogan was doing big business with WCW immediately. I mean, the buy rate for Bash of the Beach was the highest ever that they'd ever seen in the company. Hogan was bringing at least a moderate amount of mainstream attention. You'd think that Vince would wake up and realize, you know, just because they may be, you know, old in character age and in real age, they could still bring something to the table. And Savage, Savage was still over. I, I don't. It's baffling. See, that's the frustrating thing because Vince certainly believed to a point that Randy Savage could bring something to the table. That's why he was on commentary every week. Randy, Vince McMahon genuinely believed that Randy Savage still had value within the company. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put him on the commentary table next to him. Well, there was also the belief that when Savage, when his reign as world champion ended in 92, because the houses had been so poor through the year, that that was somehow Savage's fault. That's not the case at all. It's scandals, Hogan being gone. There's so many factors that went into play there that you can't can't put that on Randy Savage's feet. But apparently he might have. Even so, we will talk more about Randy Savage as the episode <clears throat> goes on. Uh, Vince McMahon not seeing the value in Savage certainly makes him a heel in the eyes of WWF creative. But he was an actual heel in the USWA this week, Justin Henry. I did. I did read about this in this week's Observer, but if you want to uh, regale us with what you have discovered. Well, I shall uh, I shall reiterate what Dave Meltzer said in this particular week in the Wrestling Observer. We use this to, to paint a picture of the wrestling landscape as we talk about each episode of Raw. And this week, uh, Meltzer reports, Vince McMahon was back in the USWA as a heel, mainly trying to build up interest in a benefit softball game that Jerry Lawler was involved in, strongly hinting that, but not outright saying, that he would be in Memphis for the game. Now, Meltzer goes on to say, although McMahon was a great heel manager of sorts several months ago, even though when it came time for the big heavily pushed blow-off and McMahon came to Memphis, it stiffed at the gate. In this interview with Lawler, he was really overacting. Imagine, You're kidding me. Imagine this overreaction, Justin. Vince being grandiose and hyperbolic? You're kidding me. I know. But this would be, uh, if you can find any USWA tapes from 1994, and I believe this something like this happened even earlier, uh, some nice little signs and some, some early indicators <clears throat> of how strong a heel Vince McMahon could truly be. There was once an entire reel on YouTube. I think it was called McMemphis or something. It was like a 30-video collection. I don't know if it's still up or not of just the entire USWA versus WWF feud from 93 with Vince's heel promos interspliced in. And what you're and, and, if, and if you could find them, you're, you will see and hear the prototype of Vince McMahon or of Mr. McMahon that, that would come along much, much more uh, strongly five years later. But, all, but even back then, he could play the character, cutting those menacing promos and being the evil corporate overlord. He was certainly really good certainly, stuff. He was certainly very good at it. Please seek it out if you can. Uh, meanwhile, mm -hmm. WCW uh, looking to make some arrangements with ECW from the Observer. A couple of WCW guys will appear on the 19th of November show for ECW as part of a settlement in ECW's threat to sue WCW over using When Worlds Collide as the title for the pay-per-view this week. Expect angles with World Championship Wrestling wrestlers to be shot at the 5th of November show. Now, the word that we're getting at the Observer 
is that the show will be the end of any relationship between the two groups as ECW has been trying to put together a Sabu versus Brian Pillman match or a tag match with them on opposite sides. And WCW turned down two requests for Pillman, saying that no WCW wrestler would be made available to them except the guys in the agreed-upon settlement, and after the settlement, relations were done. We nearly got Pillman several years early. Well, actually, we did get Pillman in the end. Ah! So eventually they work it out, and Pillman heads that way. Yes, actually, the match at the at the ECW Arena in November of 1994 is Shane Douglas and Brian Pillman versus Two Cold Scorpio and Ron Simmons. That's pretty cool. Yes, and Ron Simmons cut a promo for that show because originally it was supposed to be Austin in Pillman's place, but somehow that fell through, so Pillman came in for him instead. Simmons and Scorpio cut this amazing promo where Simmons comes off as the scariest man walking the face of the earth. That is, that, that is both horrifying and hilarious at the same time. It's much more interesting than, than him saying damn. as just a one-word you know, cameo punchline. That was uh, Ron Simmons as a, as a frightening heel in ECW was really something. Uh, talking of Austin, uh, Steve Austin uh, has been making uh, quite a few uh, impacts at the Disney TV tapings for WCW. According to The Observer, Sherry managed Steve Austin at the tapings, and Austin was picking up more of the flair mannerisms. Word that we got is that Austin originally, when doing the job for at the bash for Jim Duggan, which involved him losing the title to Duggan, was promised to belt back at the last pay-per-view, but guess who overruled the committee? Now he's being told they're grooming him as the next flair with Sherry to copy his mannerisms, leading to work against a face flair next year. Ric Flair was never a fan of Steve Austin at this particular point, so we understand. Well, at... As pertains to who overruled the committee, it was, you guessed it, Frank Stallone. <laughs> oh, darn you, Frank! <laughs> Always got the buttons from Norm MacDonald. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it was the other balding, blonde-haired guy with the facial hair, yes. <laughs> uh, interesting to see uh, Austin doing a little bit of a flair cosplay around this time. Well, he definitely had – I mean he had the charisma for it, but he was much better off being the badass that we got a few years later, which I'm not sure anyone in 94 could have envisioned Stone Cold quite yet for Austin. No, absolutely not. Yeah. But then even seeing promos from him at this point, you can see that little glint in the eye, but certainly you couldn't fathom where that glint would take him. No, it's – like if I told you in 1994 that one day Steve Austin and Bret Hart would have the top feud in the WWF, like I could see that. But what if I told you that at the end of the match, Brett turns heel and ultimately becomes a babyface, and later the biggest star in the history of the business? And it's like, all right, slow down a little bit here. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah, it's true. It's it's it's, it's bizarre. Uh, History-making title change coming up very soon. We can expect Bull Nakano to win the WWF Women's Title at the Tokyo Dome on the twentieth of November. And that, in fact, did happen, yes. This is a, it's looking like a big deal. Meltzer says Nakano will probably hold on to the strap through WrestleMania when her WWF contract expires, although WWF has expressed an interest in renewing her deal. Could Bull Nakano stick around a little longer? At this point, it looks possible. Spoiler alert, that unfortunately did not happen. Oh, fine then. Uh, one final uh, note. On the night that this episode of Monday Night Raw tapes, there is a wedding, Justin. 
Ah, yes, the wedding. There is a... featuring two, featuring two people who should absolutely be married on Halloween night, <laughs> if anyone. We congratulate on this particular night, Luna Vachon and Dave Vampire Warrior slash artist soon to be known as Gangrel Heath who got married in South Florida on Halloween night. Mm. Alundra Blaze was the only WWF yes. personality in attendance. I imagine there were a lot mm. of uh, vampires there as well. You may now bite the bride. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we throw to Justin Henry. Now we know how the wrestling world looks uh, across this particular week. Justin Henry is going to talk us through this week's episode of Monday Night Raw. Well, speaking of Halloween, we start off with... Uh... What appears to be an homage to old Ed Wood films. <laughs> Not the good Ed Wood movie that came out in 1994, but the actual movies by Edward D. Wood Jr. from the 50s. <laughs> we have a Halloween-themed intro with a giant tarantula. And we learned that Bob Backlund has been haunted by ghosts for years. <laughs> yes, Bob Backlund is Ebenezer Scrooge. It's, John? It's inter- <laughs> yes, John! Back to work, John! <laughs> <laughs> Bob Eklund and a Christmas Carol, you plebeian. <laughs> Plebeians, bah humbug. <laughs> and, we, and we learned that because of all these hauntings, Bob Eklund has been transformed into, this is Vince's word, a fiend. <laughs> oh, my rotunda's on the roster, mind yourself. <laughs> Wait. I need to rewrite Bray's theme song, but with like big words. <laughs> no, 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 no. Procuring flies in his, within his mandibles. <laughs> <laughs> Having a a manifestation of frightenedness. Why don't you want to join the back? The thesaurus is broken. <laughs> is it broken out in love? Oh, you cheeky devil. Wouldn't you want to join the Backlund family? Do you know what? I think that the Thanksgiving dinner speeches would be amazing, led <laughs> by Bob Backlund. So I wouldn't mind being adopted by them for maybe one year. <laughs> that would and, be, no, uh... that'd be enough. That'd be enough. <laughs> I think, the, I think it, the shtick would wear thin after a year. There is a turkey wing joke in there somewhere. <laughs> Pass me the chicken wing. No, not that chicken wing. Oh. <laughs> I gotta say this intro. I mean, it tried, but it was not the spookiest mood setter. And and I doubt Vince would want anyone to wear a mask anyway. <laughs> so then we come to a match that is the last feature match that Savage ever calls. And boy, do they make sure that they give him something that might render him comatose. Lex Luger versus Bob Backlund. Now, this is built up. This was mentioned the week before. It was hyped the week before as like a cross-generational dream match of some kind, like stars of two generations colliding. Well, you've got Bob Backlund and then there's Lex Luger there. <laughs> I don't know whether like, like Luger's an attempted star of, of a generation, not an actual star, in my honest opinion. I'm sorry, is the phenomenal one going for the finish here? Because I see a Styles clash. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> we have we have 1978 offense versus catches versus catches. Don't give a damn. <laughs> catches, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so Luger comes out now. Remember, Backlund came out first on last week's on last week's show at the end of last week's show in order to um. 
get a head start on this week because it's the same Taven. Yeah, so I was expecting him to be already in the ring. Yeah, get in the Barry Hardy entrance, but that didn't happen. He was apparently he was apparently ordered to the back to make his real entrance on this show because it's Luger who enters first. He's got some child for a flag bearer. The kid looks mortified, which um, can't blame him. The kid moved pretty quick as well. I don't think he wanted to be there. No. Backlund makes his real entrance. He's doing the butcher walk, which is the best walk in the world. It is the best walk in the world, is it not? What's better, though? Is it is it Backlund's speedy, fox-like movements or the butcher's stooping, slow, menacing version? Oh, great question. Um, I kind of feel like... The, I feel like, I which I like the butcher, I like Backlund's sort of duck walk, personally. Yes, he's very, he is very animated when he does it. Whereas Butcher's is more deliberate. I can go either or, depending on my mood. But he's not the only one who does the butcher walk here, because Luger does it after getting the early advantage in order to mock Backlund. <laughs> which, which, which is not wise. Do not taunt Happy Fun Ball. No. So Luger keeps aping Backlund's moveset because he realizes, hey, this is a he, – he does slow-moving moves. I can do those slow-moving moves. And it's, bit, it's basically like single white female but for Luger and Backlund now. <laughs> John, you don't have to draw that one. No, no, the world doesn't need that. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> Otherwise, pus will shoot out of your ears. <laughs> so, so then we uh, – hey, I know we've mentioned this many, many times about Lex Luger. And why he was not the ideal Hulk Hogan archetype. Backlund puts him in a wrist lock. A wrist lock. <laughs> now, Backlund is, is a consummate wrestler. If you put me in a wrist lock, I'd be on my knees screaming in pain. Same same with you. Lex Luger's supposed to be the American powerhouse. Bob Backlund has him by the wrist. As as if he as if they're Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta making their entrance, dun 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 dun, and they're but they're not best friends. <laughs> and and Lex is too pained to even pull away from Backlund or or punch his way out of the hold. He's tensed up and selling, well as best as Luger can sell without screaming. He struggles in this wrist lock for close to a minute. Hulk Hogan would have had Backlund on the map by now. This is what I don't get about the booking of Luger. He comes across as so weak so often. Yeah, he's everything he's involved in, whether he's on offense or defense, just feels like elementary wrestling. There's no, there's no theatricality or coolness to it at all. Yeah, it's just it. As you say, it doesn't seem very cool. It sounds like a really weird Mm -hmm. thing to say, but it's just not a very cool look. What's, what's worse is I'm watching – or I'm listening to episodes of Brian and Vinny from recent times where they watch old Saturday Night's main events from the 80s. And they talk about how Hogan had like these all-Japan-esque matches with like Hercules Hernandez and other guys. And has, it's just like these fast-paced jaunts with like power moves and stuff. And now Hogan, while not a technical master by any means, could put on an entertaining TV match. The one he had with Terry Funk was tremendous mm. for, for, from 86. Maybe he's – Maybe he's only as good as the person he's working with, but Hogan never slogged it on TV in, in those days. Luger is the precise opposite. <laughs> it's like he's wrestling in a medically induced coma. He really, it's, it's You don't get the vibe like you did from Hogan, where no. there is potentially a great match 
in there. You don't get that vibe. Like, he's just, as you say, he's not waiting to work with the right opponent. It just feels like he just feels sluggish all the time. Yeah, and it's and him being the underdog in a match, he's supposed to kick ass. He's like he's he's MacGyver, but in red, white, and blue. But also, why should he be the underdog when he's in a match against an older man, like a, a much older man? Like it should be a case of he should be able to outpower him. Am I being am I being ageist here? I don't I don't know. I feel like he should be able to outclass him. I mean, it's would Roman Reigns be in a wrist lock for a full minute like that? Absolutely not. Not with Backland. Or like the equivalent. It would be the equivalent of Backland in the modern day. Gulak. Gulak. Well, probably Backland. <laughs> the, the modern equivalent of Backland is probably Backland. Uh, but yeah, maybe Gulak. Oh, actually, maybe yeah. Gulak. <laughs> but yeah, maybe Gulak. Yeah, he just wouldn't see it. He just. He just. Uh, that's a time where you don't need Luger to try and put over someone like that. I mean, a more intricate submission, like the like one of those complicated bow and arrow moves that they hurt they hurt like like ten different parts of the body. Okay, that's one thing, but not a standing wrist lock. No, exactly. So, um, Backlund keeps going for the chicken wing in this match. I did right here. Maybe they should have given back on the bus because this is clearly more powerful. Yeah, the Backlund bus. It even flows better <laughs> than the Lex Express. <laughs> All aboard the Backlund bus, John. <laughs> <laughs> Dictionaries for all. There's no TVs on the bus. <laughs> Just turns up in every state, going, "I don't care if you like me or not." Yay! <laughs> I'm gonna tell you the truth, people. We love you, Backlund. <laughs> so after Backlund gets a slow belly-to-belly throw and, and continues his offense on Luger, Randy Savage makes sure to end his final broadcast ever with quite possibly the most insane thing he's ever said. <laughs> and think of the ground that this covers. For this one, you see, usually I just try to transcribe as I go along and just shorthand it. For this one, I went back three times to make sure I got the verbiage correct. Okay. This, this is what Randy Savage said, and if I hope you didn't miss this the first time. He said, and I quote, What if Bob Backlund doesn't have a plan? What if he's not even from this planet? What if he doesn't exist and we're watching Lex Luger by himself? <laughs> it's Holy a good question. Holy shit. <laughs> um, do you think he knew it was his last day of work? <laughs> Sounds like a perfectly reasonable question to me. <laughs> Are we sure? So... Maybe Savage Bear was a commentator because I don't think they drug test commentators. <laughs> and then Vince wants to know how much candy Savage ate before the show. Oh, we all know what that means. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely the milk duds and the Skittles. <laughs> but, and if that's not, like, I'm sitting there trying to ponder the meaning of that line. I was going to write. I was going to do a sentence diagram, but I decided against it. I don't need, like, develop stigmata from my nose or something. And then we get this ghostly image of Tatanka's head peeking out of the curtain as he's staring Luger down. This has been a weird show so far. <laughs> and we're only, like, what, 10, 15 minutes in, if that? Yeah, creep show this is. <laughs> so we return with a bear hug. Is back on knows how TV works. 
Oh, no one knows it's... how TV works. I think we've learned anything. We've learned anything lately. We don't. Have... They don't know how TV works. <laughs> well, Backlund knows because Backlund's smart. <laughs> so, but but then I realized it's not just a bear hug; it's a hammerlock bear hug. It's the worst kind. Yeah, you see, arm wrenched up and everything. It's two holds in one. <laughs> Why was Bob Backlund not Ring of Honor champion? <laughs> I mean, he's—I can imagine he could still go. There's still time. He could have beat Samoa Joe. Yeah, Bob is gonna teach you. <laughs> Bob is gonna teach you. That's perfectly fine. John, if you want to do Samoa Bob, that's up to you. <laughs> so, uh, so apparently, so Vince tells us that the cameraman went to try to find Tatanka, but then apparently he vanished because they can't find him backstage now. He is a ghost. <laughs> So I'm from this. I'm imagining that Tatanka turned up, poked his head around the door, and then disappeared, like and hid, like in a cupboard or something. Or, or, or he's the Buffalo Geist. <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo Geist in cinema soon. Wow, very good. <laughs> in a world. In a world where Tatanka lost to a guy a year ago that no one mentions anymore. In a world where Tatanka is over. I'm only kidding. That world doesn't exist. <laughs> Tatanka's very over, I'll have you know. <laughs> over like Rover, baby. So Savage wants to see Luger win because it would put a stupid look on Backlund's face. That's a good reason to see somebody win. He get, Backlund gets sent into the post and does this weird corner cling where, he, where he's like a... where he's like Bart not wanting to be pulled away from his crib. Because... <laughs> <laughs> it's... So... <laughs> Vince wants to see Luger hit him with the forearm, which I thought was illegal. I mean, have some consistency here. But then Tatanka hits the ring for the dreaded distraction. And that's when Backlund hooks the chicken wing. And he has, he has both hooks in, has Luger on the mat, so Lex's not getting out of this hole. Then Tatanka runs in and starts beating up Luger for the DQ. Why? <laughs> Backlund had the match won. That felt really convoluted. It's almost like Tatanka missed his missed his opening. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, and it looks really dumb because Backlund had Luger beaten. He's got him in this hold. He's going to break his arm, tear his shoulder out, tear his rotator cuff, whatever. And then he runs in and starts putting the boots in while the match is still going. Wait for him to give up first. Very weird. Very, very weird. So after the match, Backlund reapplies a hold. And then we come to another genius part of the show. Because Savage ends up running in to make the save on Luger's behalf. And we hear Vincent Savage have this argument before before Savage does the run-in. Like, Randy, you got that look in your eye? Don't do it. I gotta get in there and do something. And while this is going on, the camera is is, is positioned. Well, the, the, the camera that's in that we're seeing, the, actually the visual we're seeing, has Vincent Savage in the background, and their mouths are not moving at all. Yeah, I, this is the error of when you do live tapings. It's it's funny enough. It's a it's a, it's a classic error that even a week ago in real time occurred. So it's 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 something that will forever be an issue when you do taped shows with commentary. Yeah, and now when it cut to the table and Savage gets up to run in, you hear Vincent Savage's voice just change just a little bit. Because now we have the live shot of Savage doing the run-in. 
hits the ring, saves Luger. Backlund crawls up the aisle for escape because Backlund's hilarious. <laughs> Vincent Fackley says that Savage is not supposed to be in there. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, he's um. This the the next bit is the bit that really gets me. Is is when Savage is back at commentary, back at ringside. Yeah, it's uh, we we come back come back from break. Savage is, is still, you know, geeked up from what just happened. He's he's, he's he's a little overstimulated at this point. Vince is trying to you know bring some levity to the show. Savage is breathing hard. He's still irate, and he, and he talks about it's hard to sit in this chair, and this is for you, Tony. As he points at the camera. I don't think Tony's the issue in here in real life. Oh, but he's but normally when we mean Tony, we know who we mean. Tony just gets it in the neck. That was that yeah. was real. That that felt very real. And it's and it's even it's even it's an even tougher pill to swallow, swallow when you know what comes next. Oh yeah, it's uh like I remember I remember watching the show consciously years ago, just a, maybe a few years back, just to see what was Savage's last show was like, and when I heard that line, just, <laughs> it's a little coincidental. It's it's a more than a little coincidental, Jeebus. It's uh, yeah, it's worse eerie, off. eerie. Worse off, Vince. Uh, as Savage was talking about his will to still fight, Vince segues away immediately to go to an action zone spot. Yeah, that's it. He doesn't he doesn't let him have the moment, does he? He just shuts him off pretty quick. God, there are layers to this. Mm, this is this is heavily layered. I just feel like you've. I felt. I don't know whether they were they actually punting for Savage versus Backland because they've done this to us before, where Jared. they have they have teased Savage versus somebody and it's come to nothing. Yeah, and I think Savage may have been a little tired of all the false starts mm. and getting his hopes up. He, he just wants to do something on this show. Whether, whether it's win or lose, he, he just wants to do – like he was doing jobs to Bruiser Bedlam in Smoky Mountain over the summer just to do something. He just wants to get involved a bit more, and, and he's sort of interjecting himself, and Vince is sort of pushing it down at every opportunity. And we go from Vince cutting Savage off to a plug for Mabel versus Yokozuna. <laughs> now this is an interesting twist for the action zone because the first night of the action zone we had brett versus owen which is a big deal of a match uh the second week slightly different well the second week was um was sean and diesel versus razor and kid okay. which was it which was which was even better than brett no my apologies so then that so the week after that it was a big deal yes. but then this week coming then it all gets a bit weird yeah, now I actually it, – it's typical of every WWF secondary show ever where it starts off – like the first few weeks are like big deals. And then after that, they kind of just, all right, business as usual, fellas. You know, here's Well Done versus Aldo Montoya and Bob Holly. They write one hell of a first chapter, but they just don't seem to follow it up. Yeah, they'd start off big, pop that big rating, and uh, and then pull back on the quality. So when the network says, hey, what happened to the ratings? Is like, well, we popped that first rating for you. <laughs> Get off our back. <laughs> Wind it in, man. So our next match is the 1-2-3 Kid versus Tony DeVito. And this match would be mostly unnotable if not for the fact that Kid has a has a, has a perm mullet going. <laughs> that is quite the mullet. Quite the perm mullet going on there. He, 
He's brimmed head away from being Slash. <laughs> you talk about the match um, that was had on Action Zone. Was it something like four and a half stars by Meltzer? Yeah, it was a tremendous match. And Kid being a part of that is uh, is a great indicator for Kid, is it not? Oh yeah, because he because he was the one who was like just the. Uh... Because Diesel was knocked out for a while, Sean had to go it alone because Sean accidentally super kicked him for the second time in about two months. Sean had to go it alone. I think Razor was down for a bit, so him and him and Kid were just having this, you know, dramatic, fast-paced match while Sean's trying to hang on for dear life to the titles. And it was a it was a great TV match, one of the best matches of the year. Something that got new life when that when other Click Rules DVD came out and that match was on there. And if you've never seen it, it's highly recommended. It's one of those little hidden gems that is definitely worth your time. Very much like Owen versus One Two Three Kid at King of the Ring, like a little hidden gem <laughs> that, that doesn't get enough love and needs a bit of a shout. Absolutely, Smashy with the veto, even for a squash match, was exciting because the veto got in quite a bit of offense here. Because as is one of the happen on these shows, the jobbers got a lot of offense just to make them seem a little more competitive. Because anything could happen in the World Wrestling Federation. Stern just matched it. So go ahead. No, no, I was going to say anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation, including Tony DeVito pulling out a win against One Two Three Kid. Hey, he was part of the Baldies five years later. <laughs> of course, he had to shave his head first. Obviously, otherwise he can't be a Baldy. Yeah, we... exactly. It's oh, if he had hair like DeVito, I wouldn't cut it. If I had hair like Kid, I would definitely not cut it. <laughs> we need more perma mullets badly. He's making a comeback. So DeVito's getting the offense in as Vince tells us about the a new Survivor Series match, which we'll learn more about later. It is the bad guys versus the Teamsters. Now, the bad guys would be captained by Razor. But what kind of name is the Teamsters for the villains? Because Vince hates unions? It... <laughs> I hadn't thought of it like that. It just it feels like a very throwaway name, though. We're a team, and a group of guys is called Sturs. So we're the Teamsters. <laughs> Incredibly throwaway. And although the match will have some significance later. Uh, DeVito gets a nice power slam in here, but then Kid mounts his comeback. Finished with a flying leg drop. A fun little match. Yeah, just gets a nice little showcase for uh, for the one, two, three kid. Gets him over nice. I'm cool with it. That was fun. And after the match, Savage lets us know that Kid is better than Backlund ever was. And, uh, and Vince responds, oh, you still got Backlund on the brain? Yeah. As if he's mocking him. He is. For wanting he to can, get back he can see what, what um, Savage is doing. He's punting out for a match. Still punting out for a match. <laughs> this, this whole show is just is screwed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's a bit of a, it's a mishmash, this one. Um, almost as mishmashed as Todd Pettingill's shirt in the Survivor Series report. Would you do the honors of, of describing this shirt for us, Mr. Camp? Oh, right. He is wearing a blue and purple number. <laughs> with uh, blue on one side and purple on the other. All topped off with what looks to be a purple jacket. It's, uh, it is a stunning look that he's got going on here. Uh, although I may have got purples and blues mixed up, I have what my optician calls a total colour distortion. So I may have got purple and blue mixed up. It could, it could have been green and not so green, but I'm pretty sure it was purple and blue. But either way, it is I think a it was. stunding look. <laughs> Unless I have the same condition that you have. But yes, um, <clears throat> I did see blue and purple here. It is, uh, it is certainly a shirt. It's certainly a look that says, Hi, I'm a person who exists in 1994 and buys clothes. Because mm. that, that kind of look was uh, semi all the rage at that point. It's, uh, yeah, and, and, and amazing, <clears throat> Todd Petting. If Todd Petting was anything, he is all the rage. <laughs> oh, he induces rage. <laughs> so, and then Todd talks about, because he has to make a joke about trick or treating and stuff to let us know that this, this is happening on Halloween, his uh, drop in here. For the Survivor Series report, he talks about Trick or Treaters stealing his spanky from the Little Rascals lawn jockey. Oh. <clears throat> if you're supposed to be this hip guy, why, why would you have a spanky from the Little Rascals lawn jockey? <laughs> it's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, you couldn't just say plastic flamingos and been done with it. <laughs> I prefer that. I would have. I think it, the, the the plastic flamingos line would have made more sense, and it would have resonated with more people. Little wrestlers from the thirties. <laughs> but Vince loves a reference like that. Vince probably wrote that line. Now, granted, there was this. Uh, there actually was a remake in nineteen ninety four that was like, a, like an updated version of it, trying to bring it back for like, like the new generation. But that's probably what he's referencing. But still, the little rather Jesus. <laughs> But then Todd does get topical, more so. And just to really date this show, he talks about the new NBC series ER. That re- I heard that line. The, like, the genuine excitement around <clears throat> this brand new show ER. <laughs> my, the gray hair in front by my ears is now a little bit grayer. <laughs> having, having heard new NBC series ER. <laughs> it, it does hit you right in the feels and makes you feel very old. When George Clooney was just coming into his own... As a megastar. Jesus. <laughs> so it's the Survivor Series report here. We have <clears throat> Brett versus Backlund. 
Becca wants it to be a submission match. There may be a twist on that coming. Ooh. Tigger versus Yoko in a casket match because it's still January. Todd says casket a lot, trying to taunt Yoko because he's cruel. But we, but here's the big announcement. That match, there will not be ten men interfering in that match as happened at the Royal Rumble, Tom, because there's going to be a special troubleshooting enforcer <clears throat> patrolling ringside to make sure that nobody runs in. And it is the man for whom, for whom Ricky Bobby named his kids after in the movie <laughs> Talladega Nights. It is Walker, Texas Ranger himself, Chuck Norris. Yes! Come on! The man who has two speeds, fast and kill, Chuck Norris, is going to be ringside during the casket match. Oh, this is... Do you know what? We, we rag on WWE so much for their really out-of-place, out-of-time, out-of-touch celebrity involvements. Mm-hmm. But this one's on the money. Because Chuck Norris is timeless. He is timeless, but he's also very relevant in 94. Yeah, Walker, Texas Ranger was a hit show. I mean, it's, it's a bit cheesy, but I mean, it, it, it's cheesy in a good way. It's just like like it's it's mindless entertainment where he just gets revenge, you know, as a Texas Ranger for, for, for you know, he takes down all the bad guys. It's it's basically if it's the A team but more extreme, and he is the A team. Extreme A team. He's the one man A team. <laughs> oh mate, I'm buzzing for I'm buzzing to see Chuck. Buzzing to see Chuck. <laughs> I'm guessing Haku wasn't returning calls. That's why they went with Chuck Norris instead. Oh, imagine they got with Haku instead. <laughs> Haku versus Chuck. How would that go down? I think the world would just explode, wouldn't it? Well, I'd miss Chuck, first of all. <laughs> Chuck Norris is 80 years old now. It looks exactly the same. Of course he is. He's immortal until proven otherwise. <laughs> Has Haku cracks his knuckles. Right, give me five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm buzzing to see Chuck. I'm buzzing to see Chuck. All I wanted, all I want now is Conan O'Brien pulling that lever so we can see some Arena Walker Texas Ranger moment. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> in, in addition, we have Guts and Glory, which is the amazing team of Luger, Adam Bomb, Mabel, and the Smoking Guns. Versus the million dollar team, which is Bigelow, the Heavenly Bodies, the Tonka, and a nine foot tall King Kong Bundy. <laughs> the, the graphic just kills me. <laughs> as if his immensity wasn't enough of a characteristic. We have to pretend he's a, a giant also. It's funny how they are acting like, oh, he's, he's a giant in every little bit of publicity they do. Yet the moment he gets in the ring, you realize, okay, he's big, but he's not that big. <laughs> He's like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, that's reason, that's reasonably small, tall. But it's still like... It's funny when they make out that he's like the size of a building. <laughs> and then you see him and you go, well, he's blatantly not. Well, well, I mean, he was the size of a building in his vignettes. Because <laughs> he was climbing them. So we have the bad guys, which is Razor Ramon, 1-2-3-Kid, Davy Boy Smith, and the new Head Shrinkers, which is a pretty awesome team, actually. Versus a, an equally awesome team in the Teamsters. Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Owen Hart, Jim Neidhart, and Jeff Jarrett. On paper, that's a damn good Survivor Series it's all match. Right. Can we just watch how they screwed it up? <laughs> oh, God, yes. 
Now, those four matches, we have a pretty promising show here, actually. Like, this is a show that I would look forward to. Like, all right, it's, it's not Survivor Series 87, but yeah, I, I, you know, I can dance to this. And then we get Clowns R Us versus the Royal Family. Doink, Dink, Wink, and Pink versus Jerry Lawler, Queasy, Sleazy, and Cheesy. It's happening. It's actually happening. Yeah, this is, it's not like an April Fool's prank or just some meme that somebody created. Like, like, like Slender Man's real. It's an actual thing now. And Todd laughs at that one a lot now. <laughs> it's like, like, why isn't there a more, why isn't there a button on your remote that allows you to poke the person? But, I to poke the eyes of the person on screen. <laughs> oh, mate. Because, <laughs> because if that was allowed at this point, then there'd be certain wrestlers on this show with no eyes. <laughs> yeah, really. And, and, and this next bit, I, I don't... Okay, this was meant... There was good intentions behind this. But I have to laugh at this just slightly. We have a charity softball game. Featuring the WWF, like Luger, the Guns, a few other people, Tatanka, why are they allies? Versus the Union New Jersey Recreational All-Stars, which is a, a women's softball team. Vince notes in the voiceover that the women almost won. I, I don't know why that killed me. It's just like... It was the shock in his like, voice, I think. <laughs> it's like, women are almost as strong as men? Holy crap. A woman almost beat the men! Oh my god! <laughs> And also, if you're trying to get across the, that your wrestlers are so strong, and, but you've also put forth this idea that, you know, men are the alphas, doesn't look kind of bad if you, you're made the women, like, like, you know, give the men a run for their money in this case. If that's the impression you're trying to put across, then it does it does go against that. It's just a funny turn of phrase by Vince McMahon. I mean, anyone can win a sporting event, obviously. obviously. Here's the thing, though. But, they couldn't look any more like wrestlers, could they, in this bit? Like Zubaz, <laughs> baggy trousers, big hoodies with branding on. Like, they look so like 90s wrestlers. If you if you oh, lined everybody up and went, can you pick all the 90s wrestlers out of that lot? You go, yep, easy, watch me. <laughs> Fanny pack, yes. Ribera jacket, yes. <laughs> Mullet, yes. All the trappings. Like... <laughs> I will say though, Zubaz need to make a comeback. Yeah, very. And much I say so. that, I say that not ironically because I had someone I was like eight years old. They were comfy. <laughs> I would wear them all through the fall and winter. They're that comfortable. They are. We're, they we're are animal and whilst talking. they're an interesting look, they are comfortable. They are comfortable, and even though they are a little bit eclectic and maybe remind you of a time that was many years ago, but. They're dated, but they're comfortably dated. They're perfectly retro. Mm-hmm. Agreed, man. If Bell, Bell Bombs made a comeback, so too need a Zubaz. Everything is cyclical. Everything's cyclical. Everything will come back eventually. Speaking of, speaking of everything come back eventually, King Kong Bundy versus Burt Centeno. <laughs> Sponsored by Wrigley's Double Mint. Yes, double your pleasure and your boredom. <laughs> Fun fact about Wrigley's. Yes. Back in 1915, the founder, William Wrigley Jr., made a bold move by doing something unprecedented for that time. He sent free samples of Wrigley's chewing gum to every address listed in the U.S. phone books. It was the first ever direct marketing campaign at home. 
Wow. So there you go. If you if you were alive in 1915, chances are you'd have had free chewing gum sent through the post. Nowadays, we'd be very suspicious of such a thing. I'd chew it. I don't care. <laughs> you're just waiting by the you're waiting by the letterbox with your mouth open, aren't you? <laughs> I was like Homer Simpson when he got that free, when he was overweight and worked from home and got that free sample of um, fabric softener. <laughs> he, he just went right on his fat guy hat. <laughs> so, speaking of things that go on your head, Burr Santano has amazing hair. Oh, it is certainly a look that Santano's got going on here. There's an NFL player named Freddie Mitchell who played for my Philadelphia Eagles. He's an awful player, and but that's beside the point here. In 2004, he tried to pull off this look called the Frohawk, half Afro, half Mohawk. It was a unique look. I'll give him that. Burr Santano takes it one step further. He has the Frohawk mullet. <laughs> it is it is a look unto itself isn't it it's it's, it, it's like i want to join the road warriors but i also want to play for pantera <laughs> i'm hedging my bets <laughs> seeing what gets offered to me first hedging his bets and his hair hey. <laughs> so Santana takes these great jumping bumps off of bundy's punches he's clearly the more active dancer of the two here for understandable reasons Vince claims the NFL guys were watching the action zone. Dude, let it go. He is still banging on about it. Still banging <laughs> on about it. Now, after Yoko versus Mabel, no one's going to give one fraction of a damn about action zone next week anyway. No, so. Oh, God, no. You're going you're gonna to finish off your own product there. Pretty much. Bundy hits the avalanche, gets a basic knee drop, gets the three count. He demands five, gets the extra two counts, and wins. <laughs> I quite like the five thing. I do. But, I do too, but like I can't recall an instance though, which kind of makes me sad. Of where he beats a top baby face, demands five, and and the wrestler kicks out after four, and the match continues. You think just one time they would have done that? <laughs> just the one time, I think they could have done and, that. And Bunny's hubris ends up getting the best of him. <laughs> it was what it was. And speaking of was what it was, this segment, IRS visits the cemetery. Oh. See, last, <laughs> see, last week, Bray Sr. was at a funeral home talking about how some people would die to get out of paying their taxes. Imagine so filming is, this. And, and, and like, because historically, WWF don't get clearance to film bits like Imagine you turning up to the to the the cemetery to pay your respects and there's a man shouting at a tombstone about paying tax <laughs> it's that would be slightly surreal i would think <laughs> but see this isn't just any headstone iris is visiting here he's visiting a recently departed individual died in 1994 the headstone reads universal wrestling federate no way, i'm sorry it actually reads it reads john Doe, and Doe is spelled D-O-U-G-H, <laughs> as in money. Uh, I didn't spot that. Instead of being John Doe, which is the word you use to describe an unidentified male, John Doe number one, John Doe number two, this is John Doe, as in cash. <laughs> See, apparently IRS, as he's kneeling over this gravesite, reveals that John Doe here had some dinner that wasn't tax deductible. 
So IRS removes the flowers from the gravesite, takes them as sort of a, a payment of sorts. Why are we reheating IRS in 1994? <laughs> because there's clearly no other stars, is there? You know, there's not, certainly you couldn't use Savage for anything. <laughs> Heaven for friends. Of course not. I mean, and I mean, and Savage isn't even trying to get back into the ring. He's just, he's just lazily sitting there on commentary table, life of Riley. <laughs> just not, just carefree, has no interest in getting back in the ring whatsoever <laughs> that we've seen. So yeah, that, that was a very, 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 very pointless segment. I know it's going to fuel Undertaker eventually, but still, there is no reason to have IRS talk for more than 90 seconds ever. Mm. Then we come to the King's Court. It's actually a, a decent one this time. Our guests are Paul Bearer and The Undertaker. Now, this is the first time that the, 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 the King's Court I was intrigued by. Same. So, so the lights go out and Taker enters. They remain mostly out until Taker makes a motion with his hand to, to come back on. Lawler is, you know, gobsmacked by all this. So Lawler talks to Bearer first. He says, let's start with you, Paul. Paul makes this great annoyed face because Paul Bearer was underrated. The man was just a great TV performer. Oh, yeah. very. He was, he was very good here. I mean, the, the, the whole essence of the reason they were out there uh as is it always feels corny when it's it's undertaker plugging stuff when it always mm. and, and and it it felt a bit corny here admittedly but it was fine well unless paul does a talking form mm -hmm. so Laura asks about deja vu and that's when taker starts advancing upon him because Lawler asks you know about the 94 rumble when 10 men cause undertaker the match if he's Yoko in the same kind of match, he's worried it's going to happen again. So Paul Bear takes his time to shill a magazine, featuring Undertaker's top matches in his four years with the company. So Bear points out, like, this person's gone, this person's gone, but we can't see the magazine because we're afraid that if we see those people, we might think, oh, yeah, they're on the other channel and watch them there. Like, I'm assuming. I mean, that would have been a great time to bury Hogan. If you're going to if do, you're it, gonna that do it, that is. Yeah, that would have been a great moment, but they could have had some fun with it, but they were uh, they chose not to. They just carried on plugging the, the magazine. Don't worry, he'll drag him behind the bike in eight years. <laughs> the heat machine is way off here. Oh, this, this ruined it for me. It's not, you know, it was, it, this was actually worse heat than Backlash. Worse, the worse heat machine than Backlash. Uh, but it was, yeah, just, just, it didn't fit what was being talked about. It's this idea that there has to always be noise. There has to always be stuff happening. And mm -hmm. uh, The Undertaker's promo didn't need it. You could have had silence and it would have been fine. And it fits Tigger better because, you know, he's this eerie, ghoulish lord of darkness out here on Halloween, which is appropriate. And, uh, but yeah, they went too far with the, the heat machine and it kind of uh, oversaturated things. Yeah. Yeah, they really did. And, and it took away from some of the stuff the Undertaker was saying. You had to kind of strain to hear it a little bit over the, the noise of this heat machine. I'm guessing there's something here that Vince didn't like when it came time to when it came, when it came time to put this episode together because there's this camera cut to the audience, like the balcony area, and Vince goes, Taker's moving toward Lawler. 
and 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 for like eight seconds, the, 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 the camera's not even on the ring. We come back and they're just standing there. So you think they cut there? So it did give the vibe. I'm glad you saw this as well. It did give the vibe that something was cut. Yeah, it was definitely they were covering for something. Maybe maybe it ran long. They were just trying to edit stuff together, and they had to put this very clumsy sort of um conjunction in there. But yeah, this is this thing was kind of all over the place. So then Lawler asks. Why Chuck Norris is going to be the enforcer for this match if Taker's not scared? By the way, it's, it's, it's so weird to hear Paul Bear in character discussing Chuck Norris. <laughs> I put that. It's like, this is like a fever dream. With Buddy Norris being <laughs> talked about by Paul Bearer. I was hoping The Undertaker <laughs> would give us a Chuck Norris. <laughs> Maybe Taker came up with a Chuck Norris facts website. <laughs> Chuck Norris does not sleep, he waits. <laughs> So Taker talks about accountability, and it's, it's it's time for Yoko to be held accountable for what he did at the Royal Rumble. And Taker says, ten of the top, ten of the top superstars aided you." So there you have it. Chuck Norris is there to save Taker from Tenru. <laughs> Thank God somebody is here to stop us from to stop the mighty Tenru. I think a Tenru Chuck Norris chop fest would like destroy the world. <laughs> Like Godzilla versus Megalon or something. <laughs> just, just cities left in, in ruin around them as they just keep chopping each other. So next week's Raw looks very promising because we have Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart versus Bret Hart and Davey Boy Smith. Yes, Bret Hart is going to have a great tag team match next week. And some other you... people will be there too. <laughs> what Owen's in? Yeah, it? okay. Brett and Owen will have a great tag team match next week. <laughs> Davey wasn't useless in '94. Okay, Brett, Owen, and half basically Neidhart's crap. <laughs> That's the point I'm making. <laughs> Neidhart's crap. <laughs> you realize this is 80 percent of a team that would not only be the best stable in wrestling in 1997, but would take part in an awesome 10 man tag at an in your house. At this point, no. But <laughs> well, the fifth it guy... seems like a mile away at this point. And, and the other, the <laughs> fifth person in that team is currently monkeying around in ECW. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, see, where's the other team at? One, see, one's apparently getting a flare gimmick. One's getting a flare gimmick. Uh, one is still in the UFC. In, yes, one's in the UFC. One's not even wrestling. His partners are off in Japan teaming with Kintsugi Sasaki. <laughs> and the other's in WCW feuding with the stud stable and Vader. Uh, who would have who'd have thunk it? I know. Right? I love what you. Uh, that's what I like about this podcast is you you look back at this collection of people and go, wow, in in X amount of years, this is going to be happening, and that's really cool. But but we're not here to talk about good times. Let's talk about dull times. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a dog of a match, isn't it? Night Art and Tony Roy. Yeah, Tony Roy is um he has the honor of going four minutes with Jim Neidhart, which is like going twenty minutes with um anyone else really. <laughs> So this match represents Savage's last work with the company, officially. Calling it Jim Neidhart Tony Roy match from Burlington, Vermont. Oh, not a bang, but a whimper. Indeedy. Neidhart attacks before the bell and starts biting because Tony Roy's a threat. In typical Neidhart fashion, the match is basically him doing stuff 
while the camera keeps cutting to Owen Hart at ringside, who makes pithy comments to the lens. Because Owen, Owen has to carry Neidhart from the floor. So once every, have, have we noticed yet that this is most Jim Neidhart matches? Which, which features yeah. Owen Hart on the floor just basically leading, leading, the, leading the charge. Owen has to keep this interesting. Mm-hmm. So, that we, so, that we, so that we don't just veer off and, t- and tune into an exciting football game or something. So, uh, Owen actually... Poor Roy's caught in the tree of woe. Owen starts choking him. Because we've we got to double team Tony Roy because he's such a threat. <laughs> <laughs> we get Randy Savage's final promo copy ever. Which he plugs Christopher Walken's movie called Scam. Not a bang, but a whimper. And, and then he even did it a second time for posterity. And I'm starting to think, he knew, didn't he? I wonder he knew whether he, he knew. This. I wonder whether he knew. <laughs> Oh, I think he absolutely knew. Because it, it was this was the last day of his contract, the thirty first of October. So he must have had an inkling that time was running out. You think anybody else knew though? I reckon Vince knew. I never even heard of the scam movie. Is it a? Uh, is it any good? That's a. You know what? Should we IMDb it live and see what we get? IMDb scam I'm wi- walking. I'm, wi- I'm, I'm Wikipediaing it, and I'm not. I'm not seeing it. It's a TV movie from 1993. Oh, it's oh, it's a TV movie. Okay, his name his name in the movie was Jack Shanks. Now this scam, I found it here, right, starring awesome. uh, Christopher Walken, Lorraine Bracco, and Miguel Ferrer. Um, a female con artist okay. who sweet talks now. wealthy men, targeted by her violent boyfriend, then drugs them and makes off with their money, is be is herself being watched by another man. Okay, so it's one of those crime drama thriller type movies. That definitely fits the USA motif for the time. Um, I'm not on IMDb, you are. I'm going to try to guess what the rating is for this movie. Okay. May I? Go for it. I'm going to guess 6.2. 6. 6.2 is not bad. The answer is 5.4. You're not far off the bat. Ooh. So not one of Walken's finer films. Like, oh, this is probably still better than Kangaroo Jack. Although the top review is... Or this Geely, which he was so in for underrated. one scene. Good story, good actors, and, and B-grade charm. I don't mind a, a decent B-grade movie. <laughs> B-grade charm. I mean, it's just... It's actually right up my alley. Oh, the person who directed the film also did Lock Up with um, Stallone and uh, Kurt Russell. Oh. No, no, not Kurt Russell, I mean. Quite the, quite the CV. <laughs> I was going to Tango and Cash there when I said Kurt Russell. It was actually um, Stallone and Donald Sutherland. Mm. So back to Night, so back to Nightheart and Tony Roy who need Tony, who need some Donald Sutherland in their lives. Or as, or as Brett Baker might tell Tony Giovanni, these people need Jesus. <laughs> as Brett carried dynamite this week. Um. So after, so after a Savage's plug rama there, Savage then jokes that he's on strike. <laughs> kind of mocking the whole baseball thing, potentially, but or maybe he's uh, just being cheeky at this point. Vince then, Vince then, for no reason at all, unprovoked, calls Nightheart and Owen Jamokies. Yeah, I want to ask you about this phrase. Where does the Jam... Where does it come from? I figured it might be an Americanism that I wasn't aware of. 
Well, I, I've, I've heard Jamook before. I, I mean, I'm not sure that's necessarily um, – oh, Jamook is a word. It means an ordinary, unimpressive, or inept person. So typically used as a term of mild or joking disparagement for a man. Like, look at this, like, ah, look at this Jamoke over here. But usually someone you love when you say that about. You know, kind of like, you know, you're just busting someone's balls. Right, okay. I've never heard it. Like, I've ah, never heard Jamoke. it. I've heard Jamoke. I've never heard Jamoki, which is just him extending it in, a, in sort of a flowery way, I guess. I then wrote, this match is still going. Possibly just to remind myself and, 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 and amaze myself. So that's when Savage says the line that I quoted on Twitter several days ago, which is, I think everyone wants me to sit in this chair. Getting tired of sitting in this Getting tired of sitting in it. He, he wow. knows. He knows he's going. He just knows. <laughs> this whole thing is just... Whew. Now here finally ends up with the camel clutch. We get one final Slim Jim ad for an insert for this company before we come back to Owen putting the shades on Roy while he's still in the camel clutch. Then Owen, being a douche, even pulls him back and snaps him right in his face. <laughs> All right, that was funny. I like this bit. I like the putting the glasses on and then snapping them. It's a nice it's a nice <laughs> alternate alternative to what Brett does. That was the other good part of this show other than – actually, what was the first good part of this show? I can't even remember now. <laughs> That might have been the best part of the show, other than Savage's shoot comments. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like Savage shooting throughout the whole show has been the highlight for me. And then we come to the end stage. We're in the end game now. <laughs> there is something Savage really fitting about Savage's last piece to camera being just him. Yeah, as you you would almost think it was like rigged this way. Mm. But it's just it's bizarre happenstance. So Savage takes over the desk while Vince goes to find Luger and interview him about Tatanga's interference earlier. So Savage plugs next week's tag team match, which he will not be there for. Vince goes backstage and Luger's icing his shoulder. There is no audio at all. They had two weeks to fix this or even do like a new interview or whatever. So we cut back to the desk, and Savage is just sitting there staring at the monitor as we try to fill dead space. He kind of he has to summarize what's going on backstage, get the weird fade in on Randy while they're scrambling. Then finally, we have – at the Tonga Jumps Luger, by now we have audio restored, and they're fighting as we go off the air. And that is it. The final words uttered by Randy Savage on WWF television. Final words heard are – that looks like Tatanka. <laughs> Not That's a bang, it. but a whimper. And so ends the nine plus years that Randy Savage put into the WWF. Two world titles. Main event of WrestleMania 4 became, became the champion of that match. Was part of the highest grossing WrestleMania of all time for, for, for 10 years until WrestleMania 15 beat it. One of the longest-reigning Intercontinental Champions ever, a five-star match with Ricky Steamboat. The original Mr. WrestleMania, based on that match, matches with Warrior, Hogan, and Flair. The ultimate company man, you would think. Uh, a man for all seasons, as effective as a heel and as a babyface at a top level. Truly one of, as Vince would say, one of the all-time greats.
and uh, and he's never coming back. In five weeks' time, he will be on WCW Saturday night, making his debut. This sucks. And I think it's time to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's 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 not going to be the same, is no. it? There's no words that I can say that truly can summarize the times and the departure of Randy Savage. And you know what? As beautiful as your words were, Justin, there's no words you can say either. Well, I just said a lot of them. There's no more words that you can say. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think at this point we should turn it over to two very good friends of ours who have taken time out to immortalize this moment in history. The fact that we will never see Savage in this company ever again. Uh, All-Stars video game commercial notwithstanding because that had nothing to do with the company. Let's turn it over to not only Strummerwitz, our favorite guitar player next to, um, I guess, Elias. And let's turn it over also to our good friend Sydney Zumowitz, who, together with her brother Strummerwitz, Austin Zumowitz, have put together a song that sums up this entire crappy situation. And they do it in style. At WrestleMania 9, sitting at ringside, a has been. Cause, like, I didn't draw that well as champ last year. But then you bring Hogan back. What? Then you come around and get and say, Randy, I need you to keep on calling Raw for me. Because I'm over 40, so I'm old. McMahon, I hate this. I want out. You call me. I need you. Ooh, 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 ooh. Bischoff called me up last night. He's ooh. Because I botch a word, and you ignore pitches for me to put over. Sean Wow, Volkov wrestles, yet I'm past my prime.
push back into you bench me so we Amazing. Um, there's nothing we can do to top that brilliance. Thank you to S.A. Zuma for and S. Zuma for uh, Strubowitz and Sydney Strubowitz for a musical end to the proceedings for today. Randy Savage, we hardly knew ye. We still See, that's don't a... know. What's that? I was going to say, that's the real tragedy. He took the Slim Jim sponsors with him. <laughs> As Savage walks off into the distance with that Slim Jim money, it's my job to say he is at JRH writing on Twitter. I am at Tom Campbell on Twitter. Together, we are at Cultaholic on Twitter. We will forever not know what that means. Love you, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.